Hi, everyone, and welcome to the American Ambulance EMS Podcast. I'm Dr. Danielle Campaign, American Ambulance's Medical Director. I'm here with our fantastic co-hosts, Dr. Sajin Bakta and Dr. Patil Armenian. Hi, everyone. Hello. Today, we're going to be talking about spider bites. Who serves a million people in the valley? We do. The brave men and women of the double A are the best at what they do in EMS today. The finest place in the world to be is right here as a part of American's family. Help is on the way, got a unit and route. No matter the problem, when in doubt, we send them out. Sure as the sunrise, sure as I bust this rhyme, 10 minutes or less. Every call, every time, this is my career path, this is what I do. The double A's, red, white, and blue. Get your call on. Here comes American. Get your lights on. Here comes American. Get your gurney on. Here comes American. Get your gloves on. Here comes American. Get your save on. So let's start with our toxicologist, Dr. Armenian, to kick us off with spider bites. So sometimes it seems like every skin lesion gets blamed on a poisonous spider, right? Like if it's an irritated bug bite or a large abscess, spiders are at fault. But actually, most so-called spider bites are infections from MRSA or other bacteria. Today, we're going to talk about actual venomous spider bites, which are far more rare. In the United States, these include the black widow and brown recluse spiders. For our Australian listeners, you already know that you have many more species of venomous spiders, such as the Sydney funnel web spider and all the funnel webs, actually. Uh, Worldwide, very few deaths and severe outcomes result from venomous spider bites. In this episode, we're going to focus strictly on the spiders found in the United States. So Danielle actually has a really good case from last summer. Danielle, take it away. Last summer, actually, EMS brought in a middle-aged uh, male who like, works in the field. He's a farm worker, and he was using a porta potty to go to the restroom, and he kind of felt a bite on his buck cheek. Didn't think much of it, looked around, didn't see anything, and went about his business. So he started working in the fields for another couple hours, and then he started having horrible cramping in his back and his abdomen. He was sweating and throwing up. His buddies called 911. EMS arrived. His blood pressure is like really high. He was like systolic in the 180s, 190s. He was tachycardic in the 120s. Kept complaining of abdominal pain and back pain. So he came into our medium acuity zone. You know, he got IV fluids. You know, we're thinking like, what do you get bit by? You know, you get by a snake. Is it a black widow? Is it like just abdominal pain and the bite has nothing to do with it? And this is like his appendicitis. Um, and so started looking around and actually his friends went back to the restroom he used and actually looked inside and there was two black widow spider like nests in there. We finally stripped him down. He was kind of hairy and like looked in all his regions of his buttocks. And we found this lesion that was centrally clear with this red ring around it. And it was actually just sweating like right there on that bite. So it was a great case. He got a lot of benzos, a lot of Ativan, and then he got morphine and he did better, but it took a couple hours to get him feeling better. That's very typical of a black widow spider bite, actually. So Sajin, kick us off with, with these spiders. So here in California, where we live, Latrodectus species are the only venomous spiders we encounter. Best estimates show cases about 3,000 envenomations in the U.S. per year. These are commonly known as widow spiders, usually black, sometimes brown, with a red hourglass figure on the abdomen. Female black widow spiders can cause serious envenomations and make very erratic appearing webs in dark corners of homes, yards, and garages. Interestingly, the brown widow is as venomous, but it is not as aggressive, so we rarely encounter brown widow envenomations. Black widows are present in all 50 states. 
whereas the brown widow is relegated to the southern half of the U.S., starting in California, stretching to Florida. Luxosceles reclusa, or the brown recluse spiders, are only found in the central and southeastern U.S., very rarely in the southwest. These spiders are, you guessed it, brown, with a violin or fiddle-shaped marking on their backs. Sometimes they are seen in other states as stowaways, or in shipments, or in luggage. We'll also briefly mention tarantulas here. They don't really cause significant envenomations, but can cause a locally painful bite. Also, they're covered in tiny hairs that they can flick at predators, causing mucosal irritation. Mostly, they just look really intimidating. I think I'm definitely more scared of tarantulas than black widows, just by the way they look. <laughs> and they're so big. All right, Patil, tell us about the pathophys. So how, what's this venomation do to us? Well, what's interesting about spiders is that almost all of them have venom glands because this is how they paralyze and kill their insect prey. But usually their fangs are so tiny that they can't pierce human skin. So Latrodectus and Loxosceles spiders have fangs large enough to actually get through human skin and deliver protein-based venoms. And these proteins all do different things. So Latrodectus, or the black widow spider venom, contains many proteins and enzymes. The primary toxin is called alpha-latrotoxin, which we're going to get into a little bit of detail here, but it binds to presynaptic receptors and creates these calcium-permeable channels within the lipid bilayers. What that means in English is that it's making calcium come into neurons. And calcium, what it does inside these cells it's kind of a signal to make the cells start releasing other neurotransmitters. So in this case, this happens at the at kind of the place where your neurons join to your skeletal muscles. And they're releasing a lot of neurotransmitters, including acetylcholine, dopamine, norepinephrine, epinephrine, and glutamate. And this leads to the characteristic symptoms that we see in all of our skeletal muscles, which are things relating to hyperactivity, pain, especially in the abdomen and limbs, muscle rigidity, hypertension, vomiting, sweating. It's a catecholamine storm, which leads to severe generalized physical effects and may even cause death in people at the extremes of age. So these are people who are susceptible to extremely high blood pressures. In a typical adult, there is little to no risk of mortality, but the pain is so severe that people feel like they're dying, even though they're not. That really mimics the case I shared, right? He was sweaty, he was vomiting, and you always got to think about something else first, but it's interesting that it really mimics that. Yeah, it's like really interesting because it's like this all over body pain and hypertension, and the bite site itself doesn't even look that remarkable. Now, the loxosceles, or brown recluse spider venom, contains digestive enzymes and something called sphingomyelinase D. So sphingomyelinase D is toxic to cells and attracts white blood cells to the bite sites. Basically, what it does is it causes a lot of local tissue ulceration and necrosis. And so the wounds will look really ugly, but it doesn't have a lot of systemic effects. In really rare cases, um, you can see hemolysis or like a disseminated intravascular coagulation where your body can't like clot anymore. And that's because of all these um, different enzymes that are in the venom. Let's jump to assessment. So these patients come in, you know, they don't always tell you they got bit by a spider. You know, sometimes they don't know what happened. Like our patient didn't really know exactly what happened. Um, let's kind of go through it. Sajin. So the first step is always to get a history and attempt to identify the spider. Did the patient see a spider? Was it shiny, black, with a red hourglass on its abdomen? 
Was it brown? You don't have to find the spider and bring it in, but it's helpful to know if the patient or anyone around the patient saw a spider. Assess your ABCs and watch out for signs of anaphylaxis. Anaphylaxis, though extremely rare, is always a concern with any envenomation. So we can get into the evaluation of now the specific signs and symptoms of latrodectus envenomation. Remember, those are our widow spiders. It's actually rare for a spider bite to be bad enough to require EMS transport, but the pain and muscle cramping is so excruciating that sometimes that's why they're transported. I think that's what happened in the case of Danielle's patient. Um, When assessing the wound, it can be completely unimpressive. Sometimes you don't even see the wound of a black widow bite. Other times you'll see a small central puncture site with kind of blanching, kind of white skin right around the bite site, and then an outer erythematous or red ring. Um, And then outside that ring, you might see a little bit of localized sweating on the skin. The bite site may feel like a sting or nothing at all. Um, But what happens is that within, I would say, two to four hours, a massive catecholamine storm at the skeletal muscles caused severe cramping and muscle fasciculations. So um, the abdominal wall cramping may be so severe that black widow envenomations have actually been mistaken for appendicitis. And sometimes the chest wall cramping has been so severe that it's been mistaken for an acute myocardial infarction. So just like you said in your case, Danielle, you guys were like, does this guy have an appy? That's what it looks like. And back in the day, actually, before CAT scans were so readily available and people would just go to the operating room for appendicitis based on a purely clinical exam, um, this was one of the common false negatives. Someone would have a black widow spider bite and abdominal pain. They would go to the operating room for appendicitis and then the appendix would look normal and they'd have to close up the belly and leave. <laughs> it makes sense though, because I remember on his exam, they kind of have a rigid abdomen like because the muscles are contracting. So in your mind, you're like, oh, are they guarding against pain or is that muscle contracting of its own accord? So I definitely could see without the history of a bite, Um, you definitely could get that. Yeah. And this severe cramping can also involve the rest of the skeletal muscles of the body, leading to weakness, paresthesias, even dyspnea. In addition, hypertension, tachycardia, and vomiting may occur. And this is really of concern in the very young or very old. So that's like two and under and 65 and older. We will see hypertensive emergencies or even um, respiratory arrest has occurred. Now, the luxosceles or brown recluse spider bites are very different, and in this setting, the bite site is where all the action is. The bite site itself will look like a necrotic ulcer, um, and even though it looks horrible, it's typically not infected at all. Initially, you get a similar bullseye lesion, like a blanched ring surrounded by erythema, ecchymoses. Then the next day, kind of day one to three, a necrotic ulcer forms, and this will take weeks to months to heal, and it will typically heal on its own. Now, very rarely systemic symptoms may occur, such as fever, chills, nausea, myalgias. These patients will come into the hospital with these symptoms plus that wound, and so it will look like sepsis. And in this small subset, this is when we see intravascular hemolysis and DIC. But, um, you know, a lot of things called spider bites are typically like red bumps or abscesses on the skin. And in this case, this is a true ulceration of the skin. So it's going to look very different from a bacterial abscess. So it's like a large crater you're describing like. Yeah, they're like big craters. And then when they, if they do get really sick from it, that limb will kind of start to swell and they'll have signs looking like sepsis. But the wound itself does not look like a typical abscess. 
Well, let's jump to the management uh, of these bites. Now, we don't have a protocol in our system here in SEMSA, Central California EMS Agency for Spider Envenomations, um, but let's discuss a few things that may aid transport. So in general, don't do anything with the wound, right? No cutting the wound, no tourniqueting, anything. Just leave that wound alone, regardless of what kind of spider bite it is. Um, if it's a widow spider envenomation, so they're going to have severe pain and muscle cramping. You know, opioid pain medications or benzodiazepines can help relax the muscles. So in our system, you need to call base for that. So if your patient's miserable, they're in pain, you have a lung transport, you might want to call the base hospital and ask for a fentanyl order or a Versed order. For example, in Miami-Dade County, their EMS protocol includes midazolam 5 milligrams IV, IO, or IM for severe muscle spasms from black widow spider envenomation. Once you've seen the level of discomfort these poor patients are in, that 5 milligram Versed dose completely makes sense. First you think, oh, that's a lot of Versed for just pain. But they really are in a lot of pain. Like Dr. Amin said, they're in this catechol surge, they're in this storm, their whole body is contracting. In the hospital, you know, we use opioids and benzodiazepines such as lorazepam, midazolam, or diazepam to control muscle spasms. You know, I really prefer the diazepam because it's the longest acting and these symptoms will persist for one to five days. So usually they go home with them or they go home with some Norco, some narcotics just to help them through this period. There is an anti-venom available for Latrodectus mactans or the black widow spider, um, but it's infrequently used because of the risk of anaphylaxis. And this is because the currently available anti-venom is a whole horse IgG antibody um, and anytime you're introducing a whole antibody into the system, there's always the risk of anaphylaxis or even developing serum sickness um, a few weeks later. There is actually a newer antibody fragment antivenom for black widow spider envenomation developed, but it's not yet approved for use in the United States. And I actually don't know where it is down the pipeline. I know we were one of the sites here. Dr. Campaign was actually one of the investigators for the original study. Um, and so we'll see kind of what happens with that. Uh, currently, though, it did show some improvement in symptom symptomology and not having to get admitted. So it is actually in the FDA process of getting approved um, for black widow bites. But this is actually like a topic of controversy because I know in Australia for some of their widow bites there, they did similar studies where the antivenom was shown to be as effective as placebo. So I think that's also some of like the hesitancy there. But I'll just say, you know, in my experience at the bedside, the antivenom really, I mean, I think works and is really impressive. For example, I consider giving it for really bad hypertension, especially in the extremes of age, or muscle pain and cramping that's not alleviated by your typical benzos or opiates. The thing is, it will last a long time. So do you really want somebody to be on benzos and opiates for like five days? Um, the longest I've had is somebody who lasted seven days, which is kind of almost unheard of. And when you give the antivenom, it's just done. It's gone. And they don't even need to like come into the hospital or need further medications. So if you're at the point where a patient is actually going to be admitted for the hospital for days of pain control, consider giving antivenom. I also consider it for the extremes of age, so younger than two or older than 65, because they can't handle that level of hypertension. And I also give it for to pregnant patients because actually due to the severe abdominal muscle spasms, spontaneous abortion or miscarriages or early labor may occur, which we definitely want to avoid. And let's talk about um, brown recluse spiders. So there's no specific pre-hospital or really hospital treatment for brown recluse. You know, often these necrotic lesions improve slowly when left alone. Um, there are some case reports showing some possible benefit from Dapsone or hyperbaric oxygen. These are not really the standard of care. Patil, though, do you want to tell us a little bit about Dapsone and what it does? 
Yeah, Dapsone's um, kind of like an old school like antibiotic that's uh, traditionally thought of as used in tuberculosis. Um, but it also has some anti-inflammatory properties. So they think that that's how it might help. But again, there are not really any big studies looking at Dapsone. I think it's just one of those things where if you have a really bad case, you just weigh the risk versus benefit and the benefit might be greater than the risk. So we might try it. I think the hyperbaric oxygen is the same way, right? It's a necrotic lesion. They're trying to get more oxygen in those tissues, those cells to try to stop the the dead tissue from happening. And probably if it's over a joint or on a small area, you really want to make sure that that tissue doesn't die more. Exactly. Like hyperbaric um, oxygen is used extensively in the wound healing world. You know, we think about it a lot for like chronic diabetic foot wounds and things like that or necrotizing fasciitis. Um, but yeah, any horrible wound might benefit from hyperbaric oxygen. And so it's spe- it's for that, not necessarily for like any specific anti-venom properties or anything like that. Great. Well, let's jump to our summary take-home points for spider bites. Sajin, kick us off. So most so-called spider bites are from other insects or bacterial infections. So do your best to get the best history you can. Patio. Um, Black widow spider bites are actually really, really painful, but the wound itself looks unremarkable. And I would consider transporting these if they're just in excruciating pain or if you're two or younger or 65 and above or pregnant, because those are the people that are at higher risk for for complications and might need antivenom. And my take-home point is um, brown recluse spider bites. They look necrotic and look super ugly, but they're really typically not infected, not much to do. So it's interesting, the black widows, you can't see the bite, but they get more sick uh, systemically versus the brown recluse. So thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thanks. If you guys like the American Ambulance EMS podcast and you feel like this has been useful for you, please give us a five-star review on the iTunes store so that we can move up in the ratings so that uh, other uh, pre-hospital professionals can listen to us as well. Um, and we're also taking any solicitations for ideas or, or topics that you want covered, and you can email us anytime at podcast at americanambulance.com. Once again, that's podcast at americanambulance.com. Thanks. Thank you for joining us on the American Ambulance EMS podcast produced by American Ambulance in Fresno, California. The views of the guests and the hosts of this show are their own and don't necessarily reflect the views of American Ambulance or UCSF Fresno. The theme song for the show is written and performed by Roshan Roach. The beats were created by Young Pear and Brett Schoenwald. And I'm John Mark Bergen, American Ambulance's media producer, saying thanks for joining us. Have a great shift and stay safe out there.